Good morning and welcome to Emmanuel this morning and to this time of worship. We uh, continue our relationship series today with uh, another tough topic, abuse awareness. And um, as we do that, it seems uh, evident that we need God to guide us and shape us and work with us. So let's pray to him as we prepare to worship. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your love and your presence in this time. And we pray now that you would guide us and shape us and prepare us to worship you. We pray that the music will draw us into your presence. We pray that our prayers would be an honest outpouring of who we are and where we are at. We pray that you will teach us and guide us by your word. And we pray mostly, Lord Jesus, that we would experience your presence and your love in this time. And to that end, we pray, send your spirit to be our guide. In your holy name, amen. As God's gathered people, we receive his word of greeting, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, to our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells among us. Amen. So our scripture reading today is Second Samuel chapter 13. I'll read the first uh, 22 verses. And um, I've often thought that the Bible should have a little warning on it, just like TV shows do. This passage may contain, you know, nudity, sexuality, abuse, that kind of a thing, things that are disturbing. Um, It's been sent out ahead of time, so you may have read it ahead of time. Carol has warned you, now I have warned you, this passage is actually graphic. In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. She was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. So Amnon had an advisor named Jonadab, son of Shemiah, David's brother. Jonadab was a very shrewd man. He asked Amnon, Why do you, the king's son, look so haggard morning after morning? Won't you tell me? Amnon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Go to bed and pretend to be ill, Jonadab said. When your father comes to see you, say to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight so I may watch her and then eat it from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Amnon said to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and make some special bread in my sight so I may eat it from her hand. David sent word to Tamar at the palace, Go to the house of your brother Amnon and prepare some food for him. So Tamar went to the house of her brother Amnon, who was lying down. She took some dough, kneaded it, made the bread in his sight and baked it. Then she took the pan and served him the bread, but he refused to eat. Send everyone out of here, Amnon said. So everyone left. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food here into my bedroom so I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the bread she had prepared and brought to her brother Amnon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, Come to bed with me, my sister. No, my brother, she said to him, Don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You'd be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. He will not keep you 
keep me from being married to you. But he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. Amnon said to her, get up and get out. No, she said to him, sending me away would be a greater wrong than you've already done to me. But he refused to listen to her. He called his personal servant and said, get this woman out of my sight and bolt the door after her. So a servant put her out and bolted the door after her. She was wearing a richly ornamented robe, for this was the kind of garment the virgin daughters of the king wore. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the ornamented robe she was wearing. She put her hands on her head and went away, weeping aloud as she went. And her brother Absalom said to her, Has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. And Tamar lived at her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. And when King David heard all this, he was furious. And Absalom never spoke to Amnon again. He hated Amnon because he disgraced his sister Tamar. This is the word of the Lord. So we are doing a relationship series in which we started with our connection with God, talked about also knowing ourselves, our relationship with ourselves, and we started some tougher issues like mental health, and last week pornography, and this week abuse awareness. Um, abuse awareness is simply a painful reality. Painful because it has affected too many people here, and therefore also a reality that we must face. It occurred to me this week that for some reason that I'm still trying to figure out, I have not preached on abuse awareness in all 14 years that I've been here. Um, it was a reasonably regular habit of mine in, in Waterdown. And, um, and I think I was saying that because the last time I preached on in Waterdown, I used this passage, which kind of puts you there whether you like it or not, right? Um, and so I recognize... And I want to say that um, I'd much rather not do this. And probably neither would you. Um, but we must. Just for the sake of the reality of this world that as the body of Christ, we do not have permission to just ignore that which is wrong and broken in this world because we are actually the best equipped to face and deal with that, with that which is broken and wrong in this world. And so the reason I started preaching on abuse awareness was that um, we have what's now called a safe church system within our entire denomination. We have one in our uh, region, in our classes. We have such a system here in our church, right? And it strikes me, as I've been thinking about this, that I think, I think we're taking steps in the right direction. I would like to think that there's a whole lot less abuse in the next generation than there was in the last. And I hope that the one after that, well, of course, I hope it's eradicated. I hope that we continue 
to grow simply because we are aware and willing to face these kinds of painful realities and move towards um, healing. The Bible is not shy about dysfunctional relationships. I think I told you last week that I used to teach a one-session course on uh, sex, dating, and marriage at TD Christian. And when I started that, I started reading through the book of Genesis, kind of noting all the crazy stuff that goes on there. So here's the dysfunctional relationships quickly in the book of Genesis, just Genesis, just the first book. Adam blames Eve. That's not a healthy relationship. Cain kills Abel, enough said. Ham laughs at Noah. That's a pretty messy coming out of the ark. Abraham denies Sarah is his wife two times. That's even worse than having to have the map all the time, right? And Jacob is a compulsive liar, right? That kind of guides his life. The Bible is also not shy about abusive relationships again just in the book of genesis sodomy comes the word sodomy comes from the story about sodom and gomorrah there's incest in lot's family abraham's concubine sarah right sarah says take my concubine and have a child with her and then when she gets mad about that she sends her away and ruins her life in many ways rachel and leah's jealousy right again the whole dynamic of generational stuff being passed on as they fight through um, their children and and with each other. And then Joseph's brothers put him in a pit and then sold him into slavery. Pretty sure that's abuse. So the Bible is not shy about how messy people are, right? Um, Victorian age Christianity started this long process of saying let's not talk about that stuff right but you can't read what we do actually I've noted over the years is when we do Sunday school and there's a good reason for this we take out half the stories especially in the book of Genesis right we don't talk about most of these stories and if we do we don't actually talk about these parts real clearly right and then there's a reason of course not to do that with children that's a whole uh, sensitive topic all by itself how you teach that stuff but if it gets translated to adults Right? If we stay unaware or unwilling to face all the stuff that the Bible is telling us is out there and needs to be dealt with and the reason Jesus needed to come, right? then we do ourselves and our world a great disservice. Oh yeah, and Judah and Tamar. The other Tamar. Strikes me that I actually know somebody who has a second name. Tamar is how it's pronounced. And I'm thinking, well, who would choose that name and put that into your family? It's not really a happy story. In the Bible, anyways. Abuse, so getting into this passage, abuse happens mostly in established relationships. That's particularly why we have to talk about this very difficult topic in church, because church is a place where we establish good relationships with each other. So in family, with relatives, and and in communities like the church is, is where this kind of stuff happens, because it takes some level of trust in order for abuse to happen. In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. They're half-brother and sister, in case that's not clear how that all works out. Right? It's, again, within, painfully so, the family relationship, right? that dynamic that this takes place. Frustrated, buried, and misdirected emotion. Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. 
Now, I don't often quibble with the Bible, but it says that he loved her, and I'm going to quibble with that. What he had was obsession is a far better word for it. It was not love, all right? Those two things are obviously different, right? There was an attraction that became an obsession. That's not love, all right? Interesting to me is that, that right, we look at this story and you think, okay, it's, it's, it's as Carol said in her prayer, it's 2,000 years ago. It's a completely different dynamic. We don't have kings. We don't have this kind of stuff going on. But this ability to take our inability to handle our own emotions, including lust, is really what it was, and to be frustrated by them and to bury them and then to have them misdirected, right? That's the part we can connect with. Okay, the fact that we have a hard time expressing all kinds of emotion. I don't know how many of you I've had the conversation with about how hard it was for someone in our life to say, I love you, right? That's just an expression collectively for us that we have a hard time expressing positive emotion that builds healthy community, right? We need to own that reality, that healthy expression of emotion is difficult for us and we need to own that because that's incredibly dangerous, right? What happens when you stuff down your emotional self, the good and the bad of what wants to come out of you, is that it's going to find a way to squeak out and might kind of find a way to squeak out that's inappropriate and or terrible and horrifying, all right? So just being aware and owning that reality among us and learning to say things like I love you and also learning to say things like I'm frustrated with you and learning to say to somebody, you know what, I have this obsession with somebody that I need to deal with and face, all right? These things happen because of how human we are, right? We need to find places to accept that we are that human. And then you add to that a perverse culture, and this perverse, perverse culture came in the form of Jonadab, the advisor, who says, go to bed and pretend to be ill, and gives Amnon this whole story of how he can seduce or try to seduce his uh, half-sister. So, Probably none of us is a prince who has an advisor from the king who personally speaks to us and tells us what to do. But you've all hired a prince to hang on your wall that you click on on a regular basis that tells you that life is all about you and how good you feel, right? Called the television, in case that wasn't obvious, right? So we don't need a princely advisor. We live in a culture, right, that gives a lot of freedom for a lot of really goofy stuff. Right, And every year, it's striking now, maybe you've noticed things like this too. When I was a boy, I was not allowed to watch Happy Days because that was pushing the edge. Right Now it's on CTS, the Christian television, because it now reflects the best time of, of history. Right, And if you think about what is available on television, we talked a bit about that, of course, in the context of pornography and so on last week. Right, But if you think about the fact that every show I watch seems to have that warning in front of it that this could be dangerous to your health, right? We have a perverse culture, right? And that perverse culture mixed with goofy stuff going inside of us that we're not dealing with properly. I'm no psychologist, but I know that much, right? That's not healthy. That's not going to help us head in the right direction, okay? And then failure to question. In the abuse things that I've run into in, in my life in ministry, right, I think people in charge not questioning what's going on is too often um, the problem. This is why we make every single one of you, whenever we possibly can, fill in your police check and stay on it. We're just telling you we're going to do everything we possibly can 
not to allow inappropriate things to happen on our watch and in our space, right? We're going to question all of you, and as some of you know, we'll threaten to kick you out of ministry if we have to, right? We do, th- we do these two things together. We really, really need somebody to be in ministry. Oh, you're not the police check? Sorry, you can't do ministry, okay? When the king came to see him, Amnon said to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and make something special, make some special bread in my sight so I may eat from her hand. And David sent word to Tamar at the palace, go to the house of your brother Amnon and prepare some food for him. David, what were you thinking? Where was the, why would you want to do that? Question. All right. Boundary issues. Abuse is obviously a crossing of a boundary. Send everyone out of here, Amnon said, so everyone left him. It's like this passage was perfectly designed to help people talk about what an abuse prevention plan looks like, right? We have rules, right? You are not one-on-one with people who are vulnerable in your context, and if you are in that context, there's always a window or door, another person is aware, and all those kinds of things, right? It's not allowing these boundaries to be crossed in the first place that prevents us from getting to the stages where abuse has actually happened, right? Send everyone out. Right, again, you're reading the story, you know why. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, come to bed with me, my sister. Inappropriate touch. Right? Um, it's a funny world now, right? Because I'm a person, I don't know, I wouldn't say I'm a hugger, I don't mind being hugged. Right? So I kind of work with this policy. Um, you initiate the hug, because I'm totally okay with it. Right? But I don't know where other people are at. For some people who if you touch them, they flinch, right? You're not really helping them in any way, shape, or form, right? So if you're a leader as I am and you hug somebody and they flinch, you are abusing them, right? Because they're not ready for that. They're not a place for that. So when all possible, I try and maintain a sense of, okay, you tell me, is this, is this appropriate? Is this helpful for you, right? Understanding that level of appropriate um, boundaries and appropriate touch. A power problem. Abuse is always... A power problem. And so I've been thinking as well that I'm standing here as a rich, white, educated male, which is how I always feel at McCarty Court as well, that I'm not living in that world. And the key part here is is male, right? So between last week and this week, guys, we're kind of getting a rough ride because both of these issues tend to be more on our side, right? And I guess that's just a reality we're going to have to face and suck up as having powers that we do, except for map reading, of course. No, my brother, she said to him, don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. We all know by now, because this is a publicly conversed about thing, more so, I guess, because of Joanne Gameshi, um, no means no, right? And no, don't, and don't really means no, right? And my screen just went away, so that's why I'm turning this way now. But he refused to listen to her, and since he was stronger than she, he raped her. And since he was stronger, because he had power, We all have power. We all 
seek power. I remember watching my children growing up and seeing the dynamics between them and what they were doing was vying for how can I be more powerful? If you're bigger, then that's easy. You are bigger. I was the smallest and the youngest in my family, at least at one time. Glad to say I'm not anymore. And glad to say I haven't sought much revenge. Not much. And um, so I had a brother who by grade 8 was mistaken for a teacher. So you can imagine how big and old and strong he was. So I learned to have a really quick mouth and really quick feet. Right? So I would say something and run. That was my power. Right? We all want to find our place of power. Right? And again, when you mix in these deeply buried emotions that we're not processing very well, right, and the fact that we have power, that's when ugly stuff can come out. Since he was stronger, he raped her. And then, as often happens, the blaming of the victim Then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. This is how we know he never loved her in the first place. In fact, he hated her more than he had lusted after her. Amnon said to her, get up and get out. The damage that is done to a person who's been violated, abused, raped, assaulted, and then blamed, is deep. It makes somebody believe ugly lies about themselves. Nine times out of ten, they believe that somehow they had done something to deserve this. It's not true, but it lands deep. And then, as a community, we ignore the signs. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the ornate robe she was wearing. She put her hands on her head and went away, weeping aloud as she went. And this is the strange thing about culture. When somebody walks through looking like that with all kinds of bells and whistles going off, we do our best to not have to deal with that, don't we? And maybe it's not always as obvious as ashes on your head. But when a person's physical self, their emotional self, the way they carry themselves, the thing that they say cries out, something has happened to me that has kind of put me off balance. Most of us want to go talk to the happier person, right? And that's understandable on the level of it's more fun to talk to happy people, right? But we are in our actions, in our words, the way we dress and all these things, crying out for someone to notice who we are and what has happened and what we need. And then, that's not enough, silencing and shutting down the victim. I've heard too many stories of this. One, the perpetrator will say, don't tell anybody. It's our secret. Or I will hurt you again. Or the caregiver doesn't want whatever shame this would bring out on them to get out, to happen. Doesn't want to believe it. 
Understandably so. We don't want to believe these things happen at all. And so it says, shh, that couldn't have happened. The amount of damage that does by leaving somebody who could possibly reach out for help and healing and leaves them stuck, not only having been hurt, but not having been invited into a place of forgiveness and healing and restoration. Her brother Absalom said to her, Has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? He saw what had happened. He knew. Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. And her life was ruined. Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. And then... The violent emotional response. I've talked to many people, and if I would um, think about somebody violating somebody in my family, I'm pretty sure this would be my first response to when King David heard all this, he was furious. And Absalom never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad. He hated Amnon. Fortunately, this is the end of this part of the story. And unfortunately, the next part of the story is that Absalom kills Amnon. Not exactly the solution that brings healing, right? And unfortunately, the story before this is First, Second Samuel 12, which is well known because that's when Nathan the prophet confronts David about his uh, adultery with Bathsheba, right? So you see this whole dynamic of dysfunctionality, of abuse that gets kind of mixed in here, right? And the reason we're having this conversation today, as painful as it is, is to break that cycle. And to say, this is not going to happen in our community, on our watch, again. Right? We are going to uproot this. Because we have believed, right, culturally, subculturally, if you will, we have believed that if we just can keep this quiet, what happened, it will go away. And victims of this have believed if they just stop thinking about it and forget about it, it will go away. And that has not yet happened. That people not talking about something and not thinking about something has healed it for them. Not happened. Won't happen. Right? What we can manage to do is bury something for a time and stop feeling it for a time. I believe that's a gift from God. Because there's a lot of trauma that we can't handle all at once. But handle it we must. Face it we must. We must, in essence, break the silence. We must break the silence. And so, if you are a victim, you need to tell somebody. You may talk with me. Many have. You need to go on a journey of healing. We will find you the appropriate counsel and support and those kinds of things. It will not go away because you try to forget about it. If you are a perpetrator, you must tell someone. You must admit what's broken and messed up and twisted in your life because we all have versions of it. And find somebody, I will be that person for you if you want, who will listen, who will love you, and will carry you on loving you enough to bring you to a journey of healing and reconciliation. We must believe the victim. If ever anybody ever says, I think I might have been abused, you believe them immediately. 
you do not investigate. It's not your job. All they want from you is to be believed because they've been told by somebody already that didn't happen. It's no big deal. They have a voice going on in their head that says just ignore it. Right? Your job is to go, you said that, I'm drawing you out right now. I'm going to embrace the pain of your journey and sit with you as long as it takes to help you find where you need to go next. Please. And then bear each other's burdens. This is a community, right? We are a community of Christ followers. Christ walked the journey of coming into this world as a perfect person and absorbed all of our junk. And so it's our duty as a community on both ends, victims and perpetrators, to bear each other's burdens. And then bring them to the cross. I was hearing a, uh, listening to a uh, podcast this week. Thanks, Carolyn. You got me stuck on podcasts now. And um, the person was a, uh, had converted to Catholicism from agnosticism. And they said, what I love about Catholicism is that they actually got the guy on the cross. That's how they said it, right? And they liked this because they could see what Jesus was all about. Because, of course, if you've ever seen a crucifix, a Catholic cross, right? Jesus is torn and twisted and in agony, right? I could see that this guy knew my pain, right? And that's the point of the cross, is that Jesus understands our pain, right? And the point of healing is that we bring that pain to, to, uh, to Jesus, to the cross. We leave it at the foot of the cross, right? And we allow his healing resurrection power to take the place of that pain. That's the journey of who we are. Right? I believe, I've seen, I've walked with people on the healing journey of these kinds of things. Right? We need to trust that if we bring them to the cross, healing can take place. And of course, be gentle, be patient, be persistent. Love is patient, love is kind, does not keep a record of wrongs. Love always hopes, always trusts, always perseveres, always is persistent. This is a long journey. And then, of course, build better boundaries we don't want to see this happen again on our watch in this community we are a place where it's safe to bring your children and if you notice anything that we do that makes you feel unsafe or unsafe for your children especially or anyone other vulnerable among us you let us know right and we will take that seriously we will listen to that because we need to be a community that grows in the direction of safety of healing of peace and of restoration that's why we're having this kind of conversation. Let's pray. Jesus, it hurts to be faced with our brokenness and with the ugliness of our world. Strangely enough, we can watch all kinds of horrible things on television, but to talk about what's horrible on the inside of each one of ourselves is a whole other matter. And Lord, we pray by the mere miraculous power of your Holy Spirit that you'd make each of us honest and bold enough to face our junk, to bring it before you, to find a loving Christian friend who will walk the journey of honesty and reality and healing with us, and to receive your grace. And so I pray, Lord Jesus, for each one of us here as we've bumped into our stuff in conjunction with this passage today that you would show us that place to go 
and open up for your healing touch. Please, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. The Lord blesses you and he keeps you. He makes his face to shine upon you and is gracious to you. Lord our God turns his face towards you and gives you his peace now and forevermore. Amen.